1: When you think you're about ready to fall, when you think you're about ready to crash, but God. Satan had his way and Jesus was dead. Satan thought he had won the victory. The Christ, the living Messiah was dead. He was placed in a tomb. Satan was marching around thinking he had won the victory. But God, but God raised him from the dead. has the victory. God
0: claimed the victory. God will always get the victory. Though the problems of this world press and push us, don't give up. Be encouraged by Pastor Dave's message today. Christ has already won the victory against sin and death. As Christ followers, we can live with confidence and joy that God has given us a great salvation and reward waiting for us in heaven. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 13 as he continues his message. Paul's first sermon... The declaration.
1: You are sure the Old Testament prophecy said that he had to die on a cross. Look at the serpent in the wilderness on the pole in Numbers 21. The serpent, the one that was lifted up. Jesus said, If I be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness, I will draw all men to me. That was a symbol of crucifixion. Deuteronomy 21 23 declares that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul wants to communicate the idea that Jesus was cursed so that we would be blessed. Jesus was cursed so that we would be blessed. Look what he says in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed at everyone who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ was cursed so that we would be blessed. Paul is saying to these men that the, your fathers were moved by forces that they didn't even understand. They were doing things that they didn't even realize they were doing. The Jewish leaders appealed to a Roman governor so that Christ would be put to a Roman death, and this fulfilled the scriptures that were written about them. Every Sabbath day, they read the Scriptures. The Scriptures were discussed, and they looked for the Messiah, but they didn't understand them. Caution. Don't be too harsh on them. Do not be too harsh on them. Many people come into church every single week. They hear the Word of God. It's given and delivered, and they do not understand it. They cannot apply it to their lives. We become no different than those forefathers. Without understanding, we don't know. But we have been given the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth of Jesus Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit to open the Scriptures to us and tell us what the Scriptures mean. We have a better advantage than they had. We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit inside you. He will lead you into what? All truth so we have it in more advantage than they do because we're blessed with the Holy Spirit. He guides us into that truth. Now, these men in that synagogue that day were probably astonished by Paul's declaration regarding the death of Jesus. They probably had never looked at it that way. To them, he was just some lunatic. Some guy was out there trying to stir up trouble. They had never realized who he really was. But the best was yet to come. Paul had loaded his ammunition well and he was now ready to really give them the clincher. He was about ready to knock their socks off, although they didn't wear socks back then. But he was ready really to give it to them. He had talked about Jesus' life as being the Son of God, and this testimony was through John the Baptist. He had talked about Jesus' death on a Roman cross, and now he finishes his explanation of the gospel with another declaration. It's the declaration of the resurrection. Look what he says in verse 30 through 37. But God raised him up from the dead, He has been seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to our fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. And it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has thus spoken, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For as David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried by his fathers, and saw corruption. Paul now turns to the most crucial event in Christian history. He turns to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've been speaking about this, and we'll continue to speak about this, because this is the main theme of Christianity, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus the Messiah was declared by John the Baptist. Yes, Jesus the Messiah was hanged on a tree. Yes, he did die. Yes, he was placed on a tomb. But God. There are those two words again. But God. I just love it. We spent a long time when we were looking in Ephesians about that, those two words. But God. Two of the most glorious words in scripture. When you are at your weakest, when the t- time seems their bleakest, but God. When you think you're about ready to fall, when you think you're about ready to crash, but God. Satan had his way, and Jesus was dead. Satan thought he had won the victory. The Christ, the living Messiah, was dead. He was placed in a tomb. Satan was marching around thinking he had won the victory. But God. But God raised him from the dead. God has the victory. God claimed the victory. God will always get the victory. These are glorious word. Man had done his best to fight against God, even killing God and hanging him on a tree. But God was greater than man's sin. God was greater than man's rebellion and rose and triumphed in spirit. He rose and triumphed over death and sin. Notice how Paul leads this sermon right to the resurrection the central theme of Christianity. Paul is later going to write to the Romans how important resurrection is. In Romans 9 and 10, you know the verses. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a key point in salvation. It's a key point in our salvation. Belief in the resurrection is essential because a dead Savior can't save anyone. A dead Savior can save no man. Resurrection becomes so essential. And thus, by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, we always should center everything on the resurrection. The resurrection didn't only prove his deity. It proved his validity by his atoning death. It proved everything about Christ that was said. Paul says that not only God raised him from the dead, but he was seen by many. This becomes hard evidence of the resurrection. Eyewitnesses. In any single trial, the hardest thing that an attorney has to do is to discredit an eyewitness. If you have an eyewitness to a crime or to something, your case is almost lock solid. Unless the eyewitnesses can recant. That's one eyewitness. If you got two eyewitnesses, your case even gets better. If you got two people who say the same thing happened at the same time, well, your case, it just got better. Three, it gets a little better. Can you imagine being in a court of law, walking up in a court of law and going, where's your witness list? Well, here it is. There's 500 and some odd people in here. Yep. And every one of them gets up there and everyone says the exact same thing. you think the case is pretty good in a court of law? I think it's irrefutable. <laughs> I think it's it's, it's lock-solid perfect. Well, that's what happened here. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 6 that Jesus was seen by over 500 people. Paul says that after he is seen by over 500 people at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. 500 people saw him, plus the apostles. Over 500 people. When Paul speaks of the declaration of resurrection, he declares good tidings. The promise of God has come to our fathers. Does this sound familiar? The angel on Christmas time, behold, I bring to you what? Good tidings. Good tidings were proclaimed at his birth. Good tidings are proclaimed now at his rebirth, his resurrection from the dead. Good tidings are proclaimed. These good tidings, Paul says, I'm proclaiming these to you today. Paul then applies three truths of the resurrection using Scripture. Number one, he says the resurrection means that Jesus truly is the unique Son of God, and he uses Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. When did God beget Jesus? The resurrection, because Psalm 2 is speaking of the resurrection. You've got to take it in context he begotten Jesus on the day of the resurrection. You are my son. I'm declaring to you that you are my son. And number two, Paul quotes Isaiah 55:3 3, when he says the sure mercies of David. God had promised David from him the Messiah would come, Second Samuel 7, 12 through 17. This was an everlasting covenant with the throne to be established forever in Second Samuel 7, verses 13 and 16. If Jesus is the Messiah and he had died and remained dead the covenant would never have been fulfilled and could never be fulfilled. Therefore, Jesus had to be raised from the dead in order for the covenant not to be proven false. And number three, the resurrection proves that Jesus' work on the cross was holy. And he says this in Psalm 16.10. The Jews consider Psalm 16 to be very messianic, and it was clear that the promise did not apply to David. David was dead. David was buried and he decayed. His bones are still there. He saw corruption. That's what he's talking about. He saw corruption. Jesus, the Messiah, did not see corruption. Paul makes this beautiful point. He talks about Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God, as testified by John the Baptist. He talks about the death that he had to suffer on the cross and how he was rejected and despised by men and how they did it because they fulfilled prophecy. And then he talks about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do you got when you talk about those things? What is that? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. So Paul is declaring for them the gospel message by just reviewing all these things with them. And he declares this message to them, but he finishes this whole declaration with a declaration of promise and warning. The promise is this. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that's Jesus, is preached to you forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things by the law of Moses. Paul makes his final declaration to the men, saying that through Jesus, by believing him to be the Messiah, you can find forgiveness of sin and be justified before the law of Moses. Place your faith in him. Receive the gift of salvation. You know, it was a dream of every Jew to be justified by the law of Moses. Every Jew wanted to be justified by Moses' law, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't have that. He wanted to be declared sinless before God. You know, Paul is acting like this great fisherman. Picture this, if you will. Paul is a fisherman, and all these men are the fish. They're like a school of frightened fish flashing around in the water. And Paul now has this huge net, this huge net of salvation. He's going to throw it out over them, and he's going to ring them in, and he's going to pull them in. And that's what's happening here. All these men are being pulled in. They're being drawn closer and closer to salvation. One who is justified by faith in Jesus Christ, he says, is made righteous before God. Why? Because God's word says so. God's word says so. I believe it. The Jews only believe that God could justify the righteous and punish the sinner for their wickedness. You can find that in 2 Chronicles 6. But we know a God who justifies the ungodly if they will put their faith in Jesus Christ. We know that to be true, Romans 4, verses 1 through 8. The law cannot justify a sinner. It can only condemn them. God not only forgives our sins, but he also gives us the very righteousness of Christ, and he puts that on our account. Paul was really getting into this message. He's quoting Scripture to them. He's showing them from the Psalms, the promises of the resurrection. The body doesn't see corruption. This David, could not he couldn't be speaking about David himself, or David couldn't be speaking of his own self because David's body saw corruption. But Jesus' body didn't. He rose from the dead. God raised him. And through him, we're preaching to you the marvelous possibility of the forgiveness of sins. That's what's being preached here today by Paul. That's what's being preached here today by me. Man's greatest need can be fulfilled. The greatest need we have is to have our sins forgiven. And to have a relationship with a loving, wonderful Father through Jesus Christ. That's man's greatest need. You cannot have oneness or fellowship with God apart from the forgiveness of sins. So Paul was preaching unto them boldly the possibility of a man becoming one with God through forgiveness. Can you imagine that? One through God. is only available through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he fulfilled all the prophecies. He died and he rose again. This is what Paul said. This is what Paul is declaring to them. My buddy Warren Rearsby said, this was certainly good news delivered by Paul to the searching congregation of the Jews and the Gentiles who had no peace in their hearts, even though they were religious. Religion alone will not make it. You can practice religion. You can do all the things that you think are right according to a religion. But unless you have a relationship unless you have asked Christ into your heart, ask, confessed your sin, ask him into your heart, there is no forgiveness of sin. Paul closes on a, this declaration with a warning. He says, Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come unto you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were declare it to you. Interesting here that Paul is quoting the prophet Habakkuk. He's quoting Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Did you know that this also appears in Isaiah? It also appears in Isaiah 29, verse 14. Almost the exact same passage. So these two prophets are prophesying these things. What was the unbelievable work in Habakkuk's day? What was the unbelievable work that God was going to do that no one was going to believe it? The unbelievable work that God was going to do was he was going to raise up a nation, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, who were going to come in and overthrow Israel, and nobody could believe that God would do that. Nobody would believe that God would use a pagan nation to overthrow his people, to carry them away. And this was what Habakkuk was talking about. But the wonderful work that Paul was speaking about is God was actually using the Jews to save the Gentiles. God was taking the two and making them one. It's a work that anyone, they can't believe. We studied about it in Ephesians 3. Paul calls it a mystery. That's what the work Paul's talking about. Today, we hear many people still disbelieving the message of the gospel, which is extremely sad. Just because you disbelieve the message of the gospel does not make it any less true. Some say, I cannot believe that I'm justified. I've got to prove myself. I've got to prove my righteousness. i got to prove my spirituality. Habakkuk says the wonderful work of salvation is so wonderful that there will be some who won't believe it. Oh, it's too good to be true. The fact is it's so wonderful, it has to be true. Only an omnipotent God would provide total justification and complete forgiveness of sin by love. Only a loving God would. It's all done by love. I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, even though one will declare it to you. And when I read this passage, I studied it for a while, I was immediately drawn to a parable that Jesus spoke. It was a parable. This is where we'll end. The parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember the parable of Lazarus and the rich man? There were two men, Lazarus, who was a beggar, And he used to have sores all over him, and he had nothing, and the dogs would lick him and stuff like that. And it's found in Luke 16, 19 through 31. And the rich man, Lazarus, who had every single thing he wanted, every single thing he could possibly want, he had. He had it, but Lazarus didn't have anything. Well, they both passed on. They both died. And the rich man was in this place that was extremely hot. He was in this place where he was sweating, and he couldn't quench his thirst. He couldn't feel it because there was such pressure. There were so problems there. And he looked, and he saw across this great big gulf, there was Lazarus, the poor man. And he was snuggled in Abraham's bosom, snuggled right there. And Abraham was comforting him because Lazarus didn't have anybody to comfort him in his life. The rich man had anything he wanted, everything he needed. The rich man sees from afar off. He goes, whoa, wait, wait. Father Abraham, can you help me? No, look at the gulf between us. Can you just give me a little bit of ice to put on my lips so that that I might be comforted? No, I can't do that. Father Abraham, would you do something for me? Would you send someone back from the dead? To tell my brothers and my family that that this is happening to me so that they can change their lives, so that they can repent and they can do the good works? Can you do that for me? Listen to what Abraham said. The beggar said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that may testify to them, lest they come also to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Sad commentary, sad commentary. Because one has risen from the dead. One has risen from the dead and carries with him now the offer of eternal life. The offer of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. One has risen from the dead and has come back. And now we declare to you the gospel message. That was what declared today. The declaration has been made. The declaration now demands an action. It demands an action. You either accept and believe, or you say, no, I don't want it. It's your choice. There is no force. There is no twisting of your arms. It's a simple offer. Simple offer from your beloved Father in heaven. It's a choice that you will have to make. Have you made the right choice? Have you accepted Christ? forgiveness of sin, and have been born again into a living hope because of the resurrection, a new man creation. It's your choice. And I will tell you, if you read ahead, you'll find that don't all respond favorably. It's just like today. It's just like today's world. When you give the gospel message, some will not respond favorably. In fact, some will want to hurt you because of the message that you give. Because they disbelieve it so. Will they be the rich man in that place of torment, yelling for someone to go back from the dead to declare what is true and what is not? What has happened today is the gospel message has been displayed. It has been given to you. And now... You have it. I've done my job as a pastor, and I've delivered the message of salvation to you. It's yours to glean and yours to take. You have to decide now. What do you do with it? It's yours. I've given it to you, my gift that God has given me, and it's offering now to you. You are assured.
0: You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AsureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Asure Hope.
1: Up